So yes, First John chapter 4, verse 7. Please follow along with me while I read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Thanks, Sheila. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. Um, I hope that uh, this week for you will be a joy and a delight for your family. Um, Anticipating that you'll have some time together with friends. uh, Evenings where you get to just, yeah, enjoy one another. I want to just give you a quick update on a few things. We did, the, for the first year, we did a, a Quell Springs, and we adopted six families, and we were able to give, we'll be giving six families um, some really nice presents um, this Tuesday. Thank you for all those who participated in wrapping and all that. Um, I hope you join us Christmas Eve. It is a candlelight service, but more than any of that, what really draws us together on Christmas Eve is the Lottie Moon offering. Um, We at Reliance Fellowship use that evening as an opportunity to give back and support the uh, missionaries who are working and furthering the gospel around the world. Um, And we've asked all of our members to consider how to give on that evening. And some portion of the evening, there's a night, there's a time in which we, we give. Typically, we don't hand an offering plate through our aisles. We just use the boxes in the back for our regular fellowship, but it's the one Sunday, or excuse me, one uh, service that we actually come forward to give because it's not for us, it's for others. Um, The elders would ask is that you would take out an envelope, 
And uh, if you're writing a check, write it to Reliance, and then we will disperse the funds to the IMB. We also will be meeting Christmas morning, and hope that you would join us then as well. We are going to make that a family event. No child care for that evening. The service will be an hour. Fellowship, singing, worship. Um, I think of the phrase of the Magi, we have come to worship him. And that is our hope on Christmas morning is to come and worship him. And uh, yeah, I'd hope you join us. We have walked through Advent for the last four weeks, concluding today, focusing on hope, peace, I'm just <laughs> joy and love. Um, we have hope because God has spoken plainly. The first line of the New Testament writes that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, son of Abraham, son of David, has come forth. God has spoken plainly about the one in whom we might hope. You don't have to guess. And that is just one verse which testifies of all the promises yet to be fulfilled in Christ. And so we know that when we gather on a Sunday, we gather in light of the promise that the one who came from the line of David and from the line of Abraham, that he would conquer death and restore that which we broke and redeem it. It also gives us an opportunity to remind us as we looked and considered that the, the peace of God that we have exists because God has provided the means for us to have peace with him only through Christ Jesus. We cannot have the peace of God unless we have peace with God, and peace with God has been satisfied because God has, or Christ has become, as it has reaffirmed in this passage today, great job, Selah, he has become the propitiation for our sins. He has satisfied the wrath of God by means of sacrifice on our behalf. And we looked last week, considering the joy that we have, the joy that we have is satisfied, that deep craving that which has been placed within us can be satisfied entirely and only by God who is able to fill it. And today, we now consider love. I've chose this passage primarily because when it comes to the concept of love as revealed through Scripture, it has an intended audience to reflect on how it imply or implements their own life, impacts their own life. I chose this passage because when First John or John writes this letter, he writes it to a particular audience. Fact, First John 4, 7 starts with the word beloved. He assumes that the people that he is writing to are of a particular mindset. In fact, in 1 John 5, 13, he writes to his audience whom he believes are Christians. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. For some reason, it is helpful for me to remind myself that the text, the letter, was written to guide how people who entrusted themselves to Christ should live, especially when it comes to this concept which we call love. 
And three times in with this passage of Scripture, we saw the word perfected show up. Verse 12, his love is perfected in us. Verse 17, love is perfected in us. In fact, those who do not know God, he lives in fear and love is not perfected in them. When we talk about the candle of love, we're talking not about a an issue of how a father or a daughter might love their children. The concept that we are talking about is God our creator as he looks and he considers those whom he has saved. The question that I have is what in the world does perfected mean? What does it mean when the author or John writes, love is perfected in us. It is my hope that you just hear my heart for us as a church. And I would say that for all churches, really, who affirm their position in Christ Jesus. There is an aim in which God wants his people to enjoy when it comes towards their affections towards one another. And as I was considering this passage, I know over the last nine years, we have gone through a variety of seasons. In fact, even now, we're on the cusp of a new season. I was reflecting that next year, this time, our fellowship will look different. Why? Because some of you will not be here. What do I mean by that? Well, some of you have, will be commissioned to go to Pasco to establish a new church. Now, I don't say this to be a downer. (laughs) I bring it to stress a point. Because I will acknowledge it just as much as you would acknowledge it. The impact that we have in one another's lives is so impactful. And often the times we don't realize that when our relationships are gone how influential they were in impacting our own. In fact, over the years, I have seen many families who have come and go. And I think over the last years of, even this last year, Jonathan and Katrina Best, Jonathan and Carolyn Cedarberg, the Gregories. Some of you might remember Bill and Linda Stevens. Some of you might remember Gary and Linda Porter just to name a few. And I know for some of you, those names have no meaning. But my point is, is that as the community of Christ draws near to each other, when those individuals in our lives who drew near to us when they are gone, we realize the significant impact of the love that which they expressed to us, which was from God through them to us, made manifested that when they're gone, we miss it. My point is this morning is don't take us for granted. And what I mean by that, don't take what God is doing amongst the beloved. Cherish one another as we reflect on the passage which John is trying to encourage the church. You guys make an impact in each other's lives. And the love of God is being perfected 
in you as you love one another. Which is why I think it is very fitting as we go towards Christmas to speak it out. Your impact, your fellowship with me and with one another expresses visibly God's love. Which is unique to any other place within the world where you can come to know the fullness of Christ. And this is what John would hope that we have come to realize. And that we not take the windows opportunities that we have with one another for granted. Point one, the beloved. I've already stressed this up to this point, but I think when we consider Christmas, God has provided humanity the opportunity to one, know him. And that is often where the gospel finishes in some minds. But that is not the fullness of the gospel. Yes, it is right and it is good to be restored and have peace with God. But the reality is, is that he not only gives us the opportunity to know him, but also to live through him as we express the love which we have now to each other. Outside of Christ, I am convinced we will not find any greater demonstration of God's love And it is only perfected when we manifest his love together. And that is is rooted in this first principle, the beloved. When you read in 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The way that you understand the term, the beloved, shapes the way that you come before the table. I know that even in my own neighborhood, there are different families. And you know this as well, the neighborhood that you live. And those different families in which you dwell amongst have different principles in fact, have many different values. And the values which those neighbors believe are expressed by the practice. When John writes to the beloved, he's writing with a term that stresses this parent-childhood affection that the church will enjoy with one another. It is, I think, the parent-child relationship or the spouse relationship is one of the most intimate relationships our society can understand when it comes to this term that is related to how people within the church perceive one another. In fact, I've said this before in the past, early church history from the outsider, they viewed the insiders of the church as odd and weird because they would call each other brothers and sisters. Where does this idea come from? What comes from this term, beloved, which is used by John, it's used by Paul. Paul, when he writes Philippians 4.1, he writes... Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see and my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. When it comes to the candle of love, it first acknowledges the identity which we have with one another, which affirms, if you were to go back through the first of John, the principles and standards and values of this family, 
This family, the family of God, believes one, we are sinners. First John chapter 1 emphasizes this all over. I'll reference it one in one verse. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You won't find this on the slide, but he continues to say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So when John references this idea of love, it's rooted in this family that has the principle which acknowledges we're sinners. And the means by which we get to participate as a family unit together is realized by this humility that which we have even of ourselves and towards one another, which is really helpful when the expectations of the family are known. Because there'll be one day that we'll harm one another with our sins. Yet the humility which is at the bedrock of our fellowship gives us the means by which we can find restoration. You don't get to the idea of love unless the family has its understanding. And so he references this idea Beloved, here in this passage, as he walks through this idea of love, he uses the term three times. Six times in the whole letter, he uses it. Three times, he emphasizes emphasizes it here for us to grasp. And that while we know who we are, sinners, we also recognize what God has done. He says it repetitively throughout this passage. And that the people of God within the family who have their values and their principles, we acknowledge, as 1 John 4, 9 says, God has sent His only begotten Son. He sent Him into the world so that we might live through Him, to know Him. And the beloved, the brethren, know we ought to do something. God desires to live out His love through us. 1 John 4, 10. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And our response towards God then is that we recognize the impact is that there's some, someone who has established us as a family together. Often when I ask my students, how did you come into existence? Did you come into existence by your own will or by someone else's will? Nine out of ten times a student goes, yeah outside of my will. I came here in existence out of my parents' will. Why does this family exist? The common understanding is God has brought us together and that he has sent us his son because we are sinners. And as in light of a response, 1 John 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is God. Now I know everything I have just said to many of you is very familiar. Yet it is the basis and the foundation for how we think about this idea of love. I was just watching, hearing somebody's talk about the reason for Christmas. This family would say something entirely different from another family with different principles and different values. And that's why I think it is so fitting we find ourselves this week 
the week before Christmas, considering this. If you go out, you'll find Christmas is about family. John would say, what family? And that it is referencing within the very name, Christ, who makes a new family. And so when we talk about the details, we come to this idea of love and understanding it because it's not man's will or type of love, but rather we're talking about divine love, which has established a whole new fellowship, beloved. If that is not your position, starting verse 7, which, which you affirm that you're a sinner and that Christ has come to be your propitiation for your sin, meaning he has satisfied your sin by means of sacrifice on the cross, and that by faith you have responded to him, none of this applies to you if you have not responded. Yet for those of us who have responded, this becomes then the, the means by which we think about love. First, love exists... Point two. Now, I find that if, what's interesting about this passage and what my fear was as I was preparing it is that John is so rooted in theology. Right? This is a theological idea which is, is going to express itself in practicable ways. In my modern mind, my fear is we don't like thinking about theology. But as Christians, it was the, and is the bedrock for how we learn to respond to one another. And the means by which we understand the concept of love is not defined by how we view it, but rather how we view God. Over and over and over again, when we think about the source of love, we come to understand what it is, not by our own understanding, but by who God is. But notice this emphasis Later, I'm only going to pick a few, but it's said over and over again. We know what love is. First John 4, 7. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And again, verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Quick clarification. When we say that God is love, we're not, what John is not saying is that God is in essence love. He's not an emotion. Rather, this is his character. This is his nature. He is a loving being, eternal being. And this is why we can say within his nature, he is merciful. He is just. But in this regard, when it comes to Christmas, the giving of his son, we know that he is a God of love because he has sent forth the son. And this son is of a great, great, indescribable position. And the means by which we come to understand the, why God is a God of love is through the gift, which is the Son. Because the reality is that Paul, or John writes is in verse 12, no one has seen God. How do you get to know the nature of God if you can't see Him? Well, only if God is so willed and chosen to reveal Himself. And no one has seen God in His fullest glory, but he, we have seen 
his love towards us and that he has given us someone which would be his son. Three things I'd like to stress here and as we consider the source of love. And if you'll just hold on with me, when we get to our convictional response, it will aid us well that we understand this. One, when we consider the source of love, we know that God is love because he sent his son. And I've already stressed this. And what I want to reflect with you on is just to consider once again, I'm just going to use three passages here. Look with me at verse 9 and 10, how this is repeated over and over again in whom he has sent. And then look at verse 14 as well. Verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifest. Manifested, has anyone ever seen God in his fullest glory? The answer is no. But we have seen the love of God manifested. What does that mean? Made visible. The invisible God makes his love visible. Through whom? The gift was made manifest in us that God has sent his one and only, the only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Again in verse 10, how do we know that God is love? In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. How do we know? He has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. How do we know that God is love? through that which he has given to us, the Son. Some of us, like, okay, God gave us the Son of God. The quality of a gift definitely helps us understand the, infe- the affections of an individual. For example, I had a sibling who would, from time to time, carry gum. And being their brother, from time to time, I would want a piece of gum. And they would take and eat a full piece of gum when they wanted a piece of gum. But when a sibling wanted a piece of gum, do you know what happened? They would pull the gum out and tear it in half and give me a portion of a piece of gum. What is being revealed in that moment? Well, when they take the piece of gum and give them the full piece of gum, who do they love? Themselves. Or if a parent who gave them the resources to buy a piece of gum, parents are laughing right now because they've seen it already in their kids. Or maybe you do it yourself. Uh, (laughs) What do we say? Well, as a parent, you shouldn't get a piece of full gum. You should get half a piece. Anyway, sidetrack, getting off track. When my, my sibling would give a piece of gum or ask by a parent, they would give a full piece of gum. Why? Rank, influence, would be the means by which they would give the full piece. Poor sibling. Only merely gets half a piece. Generous, but not super generous. And I think, as the illustration applies, we do this as parents parents or adults all the time. The way that we give a gift, whether it be with our time, our money, our resources is often dependent upon the person whom we are giving it to. If we view the person to be of great influence, of high respect, we do not hold back in giving of our time resources. Why? Because of the hope of what might return. Whether it be the child with the gum or the adult with their time, money, and resources, we all do this. But when we talk about the love of God, 
being extended towards us in the Son, we are, one, acknowledging, reminding you again, back to point one, who we are, brothers. In that we acknowledge who we are, what? Sinners. When God gave us his gift, we did not aid him in any way to influence him eternally. Rather, he was giving a gift to someone of great inferior position. Yet, when he gave us the Son, point two, he gave us what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9.15, the whole piece, the whole packet. This, thanks be to God, when considering Christ, he is the indescribable gift. When God wanted to express his love towards you, he didn't hold back anything. In fact, we even have songs which declare there was nothing else for him to give. Why? Because he gave of the greatest. When Christians think about this, what do we think? We think God is love because he has given us the most indescribable gift. And at Christmas, we often get, we look at the humility of God, Christ coming in the manger and forget who he is. The gift is the Alpha and the Omega. The gift is the author of everything, John 1, 1 through 3. He is the one who upholds everything by the power of his word, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He is the one who is served by angels. He is the one worshipped by angels. He is the glory of God, the exact representation of the Father. And when John sees him in the book or the letter of Revelation, he falls dead. The, the gift given to us in the Son is the indescribable gift. How do we know that God loves us? He gave us Gave us the greatest gift. Two, not only do we know that God loves us because he's given us the gift, but two, God sent his gift for a purpose. And again, I say this knowing that you know these things. First John 3.16. We know love by this. The gift did something. That he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Interesting. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son, read it already again, to be the propitiation for our sins. The gift was given to give us something. And something he has given to us was given towards an inferior position. Three which is I find the most striking, I think. When we define love, this is how we define it, brethren. This is how the family of God defines love. We have become, as a result of the indescribable gift would accomplish our salvation, we have now recognized that we become the beneficiaries of this gift. How does God define love in his nature? One, he's self-sacrificing. Meaning, he seeks out in his nature of love the advantage of another at one's own cost. And when we talk about love and we talk about communion, that is the family's understanding of how we're going to understand later how we ought to love one another. It's within our sinfulness 
in our brokenness that we tend to love those whom we deem worthy. That's not how God determines love, brethren. Love is self-sacrificing in that it seeks out the advantage of someone else at one's own cost. It's not only self-sacrificing, it's self-giving. God sent his son at one's own cost to gain our advantage at the cost of his one and only son. This is why when we look at the son, and remember the scene where he's at the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter pulls out the sword. He's ready to fight back the soldiers. And Jesus says, put away the sword. You see within the son the willingness to be self-sacrifice and self-giving. He gives his life voluntarily. And if you're willing to understand what John is doing, and you understand the theology of all of that, point three, it will become the bedrock in which becomes the means by which we learn to love one another. And this is where it becomes more practical. Look at 4.11. Beloved, if you know what love is, you know it. Because you've experienced personally. God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, verse 12. And if we love one another, God abides in us, and there it is. His love is perfected in us. What does that mean? The aim of salvation was not just to free us from the wrath of God. Remember in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, what do Christians believe the gospel is? God created all things. And within all of his creation, God has created within his creation a unique image, which we call humanity. And humanity was to represent and image the invisible God physically before all creation. But Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of meeting and reaching that aim of fulfilling God's design. But Christ Jesus has come and he has paid for our sins and has become the exact representation of who God is and displayed him publicly for all the world to see who God is. When it comes to Christians, what we recognize is is that the hope that we have is that we have been designed to meet God's intention when it comes to the idea of love. And the only means by which we can actually meet the aim of God's intention of love is one, by acknowledging we're a sinner, becoming part of the beloved. Two, understanding who God is and God in his nature is a loving God. And when Christians, now here we go, extend a love towards a brother or sister, God's intent and desire for love to be perfected has reached its aim. And when it's reached its aim, when brothers and sisters love one another, then they honor the God who has created them as, their, as his image and in his likeness. 
The will of God is that we be sanctified, and it replies even to this idea of love, that we satisfy God's intent of loving one another. And the only way which John writes in which the love of God can reach its aim perfectly is within the beloved who know these things. This is why Jesus would say, like, you will know them by their love for one another. What's he saying? The aim of God's nature, which is made visible within all creation, will be accomplished under those who affirm that they are sinners and those who have responded in the Son, who have experienced the source of love at great cost and self-sacrificing as a result of experiencing themselves are radically transformed to be people which love one another. And that when they do that, the love of God is made visible and reached its aim. Okay, that's theology. I live in a world that thinks Christianity is sitting through a service. And I know, and one thing that I have come to joy about reliance is its pursuit of one another. And my plea with you is don't stop. Because when you pursue one another in the love of God, you make the love of God reach its aim. For those, I caution, that keep fellowship at a hand's distance, that refuse to reconcile, we do not exercise the will of God. When we keep issues under the rug and we don't learn to reconcile with one another, we are not fulfilling the love of God. And in fact, love is expressed when we know that there are relationships that need to be restored and understanding who God is, we walk in that love self-sacrificially and at one's own cost. That we realize that when we walk in this way, we actually make the love of God visible between one another. I need your fellowship. Why? Because I get to see God in you working. And when you're not here, like the Porters, the Gregories, why do we miss them? Why are we grateful they left? Well, not we're not grateful they left. They were, we, we enjoy those ones that we've loved, but we miss them. Why? Because of the deep, investment that they made with us and that we saw the love of God being manifested through them and the impact assured us of God's love towards us. And when we begin to be a people that are tempted to do other things, not just on Sunday mornings, whether it be in small group, you hear us talk about small groups, Bible studies, service within the community. Why do we stress these things? We don't stress these things just because we want to make you busy. We'd rather you be busy with these things. Why? Because I am convinced 
that there is no other, no other greater way to experience the love of God yet within the church. And so many are trying to satisfy the deep cravings of love outside of it and being torn away to fall in love with mirages. I used to love football. And the expression of that love was made visible. How? When I would skip church to watch him. These are invisible concepts. Hope, peace, joy, love. But they are made visible as we live out what we ultimately believe. We believe we're sinners. Where else in the world will you find a group of people that acknowledge candidly, yep, I'm the issue. And this humility which is supposed to take place regularly. And we know what love is because it doesn't reside in my heart. The true source of love comes from God, made manifest and visible only in Christ Jesus. And through faith, I have come to realize the great indescribable gift revealed in this child in a manger. And by faith, he has satisfied the wrath due to me. And now in light of that truth being realized, I cannot go back to selfish living. And because I know who God is in nature as a God of love, I get to make now for the first time as a result of faith, God's love made visible by loving you who, by our own definitions, can make up a few reasons why we shouldn't. And when we love one another in the same way that God has loved, we see it. And when we see it, we're assured of some things. Let me look at verse 17. This is not on the screen for you. By this, love is perfected. It has reached its aim with us. So that we may not so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we in this world. Like when we love one another, it testifies of our love that God has for us. And we know through the love that which we express to each other when we stand before God. It's going to be okay. Like there's the doctrine of assurance, but then there's also the affection of assurance expressed through our fellowship. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Verse 19. We love. Why? The source of love has expressed himself, made visible, because he first loved us. Don't take each other for granted. You reveal the love of God towards one another. Take every effort. Spend time with each other. Have fun with each other. Enjoy Christmas with each other. Why? You perfect the love of God when you do it. Don't. 
don't keep your hand or keep us at a hand's distance. The will of God is this, that you experience the love of God through us. Draw near. And this is what we do around the table. The table is for the beloved who have confessed their sins and acknowledged the world has its principles and values. This family, the family of God, has its principle. We're sinners. No one comes to the table perfect. And we know that God has sent his son, made visible his love towards us. And so we reflect together as a family. And so those who are eligible for the table, for those who can partake, are those who have expressed their faith in baptism, who have responded in faith. And through that, as a family, we remind ourselves of our relationship to God and to one another. And I pray that as you go ahead into the Christmas season, that you would take every opportunity to express the love to one another. And here is where we remind ourselves of that standard. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know how many more times that John has to use the word love in this passage for it to convict us of the standard before us. It was the serpent that said to Eve, has God really said? And we are tempted even in our own era. Has God really said to fellowship with one another? It's not just John who affirms this or the author of Hebrews or Paul make every effort to, jo to join do not forsake the assembling. Why? Lord, we know that we get to experience the love of God made visible through one another. You have saved us. And we're reminded of this this morning, that we get to come to the table not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. And through faith in his propitiation, the satisfaction of paying for our sins, the wrath of God by means of sacrifice on our behalf, we respond in faith, we get to be restored to the family of God. And as a result of being this family of God, we long for your return. The love of God is being manifested by our means by which we love one another. And Lord, I pray that as we move forward in the seasons ahead, that would become the culture and the identity of these people that we desire to know one another and to live out the faith in Christ Jesus together. And let us be reminded of these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite the ushers.